States. We have folks from Texas and parts in between, and we want you to know that you are indeed an honored guest here at 70 West. At this time, please pass those cards to the inside aisle and be picked up at this moment. Many of us will recognize this picture. It's a home security keypad. In our world today, these things have become very common because of the security crisis that we often face, not just in our homes, but also in our work, and as we saw last Sunday, even in our church buildings. Now, I'm going to impress the young people this morning. Get ready, young people. I'm going to show you our security system that I grew up with on the farm. This was our security system. Right there it is. We did not have a lock on our door, literally no lock on the door, and, the, and that hook right there on the screen door was only there to keep the screen door from coming open on windy days. We lived, I grew up in what I call the Mayberry time period, when things were much more simpler than they are today. Unfortunately, we realize that in today's world, 2020, we've got to be secure. We've got to have those systems in place to protect our families, our wives, and our children. Alarms go off when someone violates one of those uh, security systems. And you can't pretend that the alarm is not going off because that, those alarms those alarms are very loud and they'll keep on sounding off until you finally punch in the code. I'm wondering this morning, if in your life an alarm is going off, because alarms alert us to danger, and is an alarm going off in your life because you are facing danger? I'm talking about the danger of unconfessed sins. When we try to cover up our sins, and often we do try to cover them up, the alarms only get worse. And John said in his first epistle, chapter 1, verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we're only deceiving ourselves. Because each one of us, if we have reached the age of accountability, if we understand right from wrong, we sin. Sin is in our lives. But when we openly confess those sins, when we openly face up to our shortcomings, then and only then can God help us to solve our problems. John said in his first epistle, verse number 9, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God is faithful to free us from the burden of our sins and to clean out all those wrong things that we can accumulate in our lives. So this morning, this morning let's face up to our shortcomings. Let's be honest with ourselves. Do you struggle with sin in your life? I'm talking about bitterness, hatred 
How about gossip? Gossip. Anger. Sexual immorality. Enmity. Strife. Lies. Jealousy. Dissensions. Drumming up division. Malice. Anxiety. Are you failing to trust God the way He wants you to trust Him? Or do you have certain addictions that are enslaving your life? Or here's one that hits, hits us all, probably, in some degree. Are we failing to grow as a Christian? Right now, is our knowledge of God's Word stronger than it was when we were baptized? Is our prayer life what it should be? Is our worship, do we just give God the minimum? Are we looking for just doing the minimum of our worship? And how about our service to God? Are we failing to grow as a Christian? God, God can set you free from any and all sins, but only if you truly confess them. So this morning, my question to you is this. What is true confession? What does it involve? And what does it look like? Now, unfortunately, when we talk about confession, we often think about what's going to happen here in approximately 20 minutes. In about 20 minutes, we're going to have what we call the invitation song. And that invitation song reminds us that God's invitation goes out 24-7. Seven days a week, 365 days a year, or this year, leap year, 366 days. God's invitation goes out for all to become a Christian, to hear, believe, repent, confess, and to be baptized. But it also goes out to all of us who are Christians that if we need to seek public prayers, if our sin is public in nature and our reputation has been harmed, that we can seek public prayers and, and we want to restore our reputation and restore our relationship back with God. Or maybe we just feel like we need prayers of our fellow Christians. Those confessions don't happen very often. I'm actually primarily this morning talking about daily, private confession. Because sin is something that we have to deal with every day. And how are we going to face up those shortcomings? Because if we don't face up to our sins, how in the world can we grow? How in the world can we get better unless we acknowledge our shortcomings and try to do better? Look at the passage that Billy shared with us, verse number 1. It's the 24th day of the seventh month, just two days after the Feast of the Tabernacles. Ezra had read to them the word of God. And now, now they're not eating. We call that fasting. They're clothed in sackcloth. They have dirt on their heads. It's a, a symbol, a sign of extreme distress. They're feasting. Their feasting had turned to fasting. As the word of God brought conviction and people started to 
confess their sins. Conviction. Conviction is that ember that flames into fire, that, that desire to do better, to confess our sins. Look at verse 2 now. What are they doing? They spend a quarter of the day reading the Bible. They spend a quarter of the day confessing their sins. You know what? That's a very long worship service, isn't it? Very long. Verse number 6 now of chapter 9. What do they say? You are the Lord. You alone. You have made heaven. The heavens of heavens with all their hosts, the earth and all that is in it, the sea and all that is in them, and you preserve all of them. And the host of heaven worship you. Go down to the very end of chapter, or verse 8. And you have kept your promise. Why? For you are righteous. God's people in Nehemiah's day, they started their confession with praise. God is faithful. God is righteous. And that's where we today must begin as well. You must acknowledge that God is right. Declare that God keeps all his promises and does no wrong. That he is faithful and fair. Circle that word fair in all his dealings with you. The next few verses rehearses God's dealings with Israel from Egypt to the wilderness. Let's resume in verse number 16. But they and our fathers, they acted presumptuously and stiffened their nets and did not obey your commandments. They refused to obey and were not mindful of the wonders that you performed among them but they stiffened their neck and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. But you, you are a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and did not forsake them. Time and time again, God had what? Forgiven them. They had forsaken Israel, but God did not forsake them. God gave them the land that he had promised. Verse 26, Nevertheless, even though you gave them this wonderful land, they were what? Disobedient and rebelled against you and cast your law behind their back and killed your prophets who had warned them in order to turn them back to you. And they committed great blasphemies. Therefore you gave them into the hand of their enemies who made them suffer, and in the time of their suffering they cried out to you, and you heard them from heaven. And according to your great mercies you gave them saviors to save them from the hand of their enemies." God had been faithful to them. In spite of their unfaithfulness, God had been faithful. He never forsook them. And even when He had to discipline them, He still loved them. They acknowledged that what God did in allowing the hardships to come, 
those hardships were absolutely right and fair. Kind of reminds me of King David when he had to face up to his shortcomings. He said, against you and only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. That's what true confession is all about. It starts with acknowledging that God is right. But what do most of us like to do? We like to play the blame game. We like to blame other people, even God, for our shortcomings. I'm reminded of a mom that was trying to train her toddler to love God, and she would say, uh, well, who made the sun? And the little boy would say, well, God did. Well, who made the rain? Well, the little boy would say, God did, and so on and so on. One day she walked into his room, and all the toys that should have been in the toy box were, were scattered on the floor, and she said, who made this mess? And the boy said, well, God did. We like to play the blame game. Don't blame God for the mess that you are in. Instead, praise Him for being faithful to you in spite of that mess that you created. A sweet family over in West Memphis. They, they had a, a beautiful home, two little small children. He had a great job over in Memphis. But there was a problem. The wife had a compulsion she wanted to gamble, and, and she would gamble. She would take money from their account. She would even take uh, things they owned, jewelry and household items, and, and she would pawn them and to, to gamble. Every time, the husband would forgive her for what she had done to her family. They ended up in a rental home. They had to lose their house. They had to lose their cars. He would started driving to work in a, just an old clunker. But still, he would not give up on his wife. Even when she tried to take her own life and kill herself, he refused to give up on her. In spite of family and friends who urged him, just take the kids, you'll, you'll get the kids in a divorce, uh, just take the kids and start over. Here's what he said about his wife. She's a good mother most of the time. And my children, my children need her. But it's more than just that. My children need to know the love of their God. How can my children know of a father in heaven who forgives them if their own earthly father won't forgive their own mother? So true. It kind of reminds me of the lesson that God was trying to teach Israel in the story of Hosea and Gomer, does it not? God, God is not wrong in the way that He has treated you and me. He's been more than fair with us. He hasn't given us what we deserve, no. Instead, He has treated us with undeserved favor because of what Christ did for us on the cross. We call that grace. We remind you, once again, of Romans 5. But God shows His love for us, and now while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
Jesus died in our place so that God could be gracious toward us. We must obey to experience that grace and forgiveness in our lives. So don't blame God for your mess. Instead of praise Him for His faithfulness to you, even in spite of that mess. That's where true confession begins. It begins with acknowledging that God is right. And number two, it continues with us admitting, I'm wrong. Admitting that you are wrong. Take the blame. Accept the responsibility. Verse 33. Yet you have been righteous in all that has come upon us. They've been talking about what their forefathers had done. Now they're talking about what they had done. You have been righteous in all that has come upon us. For you have dealt faithfully. And we... We have acted wickedly. Our kings, our princes, our priests, our fathers have not kept your law or paid attention to your commandments and your warnings that you gave them. Even in their own kingdom and amid your great goodness that you gave them and the large and rich land that you've set before them, they did not serve you or turn from their wicked ways. Israel continued to sin against God despite God's great goodness. As a result, what kind of life do they have? Look at verse 36. Behold, today, we are slaves this day. In the land that you gave to our fathers to enjoy its fruit and its good gifts, behold, we are slaves. And its rich yield... It doesn't go to us. It goes to the kings whom you have set over us. Why? Because of our sins. They rule over our bodies and over our livestock as they please. And we are in great distress. They don't own the land they're living in. The Persians do. The Persian kings are taxing them heavily. They're in great distress. But notice, they admit that they are in that condition. Why? Because of our sins. They are admitting that they are the ones who had done wrong. They're not blaming God for their pain. They are blaming themselves. Look at verse 33. They acted wickedly. Verse 34. They had not kept the law. Verse 35, they did not turn from their wicked ways. Verse 36, because of all that, they were slaves. Verse 37, they're in great distress. That's what true confession is all about. It's taking responsibility for your own actions. And that's what you and I must do if we want God to get rid of the mess. In our lives, remember that long list of sins? That list could have gone a lot further. We have sins in our lives. We must acknowledge that God is right, and we must admit that we are wrong. In George Orwell's famous novel, famous fictional novel, Animal Farm, the farm animals, they rebel against a cruel farmer 
two pigs, Napoleon and Snowball. They, they fight for control of the farm. Napoleon eventually wins and he succeeds in getting Snowball exiled from the farm. But even though Snowball is no longer there on the farm, who gets blamed for everything that goes wrong? It's Snowball. Orwell writes this, Whenever anything went wrong, it became usual to attribute it to Snowball. If a window was broken or a drain was blocked up, uh, someone was certain to say that Snowball had come in the night and done it. And when the key of that that store shed was lost, and the whole farm was convinced that Snowball had thrown it down a well, curiously enough, they went on believing this lie even after the mislaid key was found under a sack of meal. Sadly, many of us suffer from what I call the snowball syndrome. We blame others. We blame our children, our spouse, our parents, our boss, our employees. But who really is the blame? Sometimes it really is someone else's fault, but most often... All too often we blame others without examining our own hearts. There's only one cure for the snowball syndrome, and that's true confession. It takes responsibility for your own actions. It's admitting, I was wrong. However, that's not what many Americans like to do these days. An interesting trend has sprung up in the practice of psychotherapy. In the first decade of the 21st century, people seeking psychotherapy, the client base plummeted by 30%. Why? Because people did not want to take responsibility for their own actions. Instead of them wanting to change themselves and get better, they wanted to blame someone else. So the profession, at their annual convention, they hired some, well, some rebranding consultants to come in and tell them what to do to, uh, to increase our client base again. Here's what the rebranding consultants said. They said, rather, when you treat people, say, you don't treat people with anxiety, you don't treat people with depression, Advertise your services by asking the question, are you having trouble with the difficult people in your life? In other words, don't tell your clients that it's their problem. Tell your clients that it's someone else's problem. We don't like to admit that we are at fault. But until we do, Until we face up to our shortcomings, our mistakes, God cannot clean up the mess that we ourselves have created. If you want God to free you from your sins and to clean out your mess, then you must truly confess your own sins. Step one, we must acknowledge that God is right. Step two, we must admit that you're wrong. Step three, you must commit to change. You must promise that you're going to try your best to be different. Promise that with God's help, you're going to walk a new path. That's what God's people are doing here in Nehemiah's day. Verse 38. 
Because of all this, because of the fact that we realize that you are righteous, because of the fact that we realize that we are wrong, we make a firm covenant in writing on the sealed documents are the names of our princes, our Levites, and our priests. Chapter 10 is that document. Chapter 10 is the text of that document where they promise to do primarily two things. Look at chapter 10, verse 29. They promise to obey God's law. We're going to do our best to obey your law. Promise number two, they're going to take care of God's house. And they're going to restore proper worship. That's in verse 39. They had neglected to do these things before. But now they promise things are going to be different. They commit themselves to change. And that's what you and I must do. If we want God to clean up the mess in our lives, we must seek His forgiveness and we must commit ourselves to change. There's a story told about a man who walked into a restaurant and he ordered a Coke. When the waiter delivered the Coke, he took that that glass, and he threw the Coke in the, in the waiter's face. The waiter said, whoa, what are you doing? The man said, oh, I'm so sorry. I've got this compulsion. I, I just feel like I've got to do that, and I'm, I'm so sorry. In fact, I'm going to leave right now, and I'm going to find a clinic. I'm going to check myself in, and I'm going to get better. And lo and behold, because of that man's guilt, because of his guilt, he did check into a clinic. And 30 days later, he was dismissed from the clinic. He walked back to that same restaurant, sat down at a table. That same waiter came up. The man said, I'd like to order a Coke. The man said, oh, I'm not going to fall for that again. You're, you're going to throw that Coke into my face. And the man said, no, no, I'm cured. I've been 30 days in a therapy program. I'm cured. Don't worry. So the waiter left and came back with a Coke. Promptly, the man took the Coke and threw it in the waiter's face again. The waiter said, I, I thought you were cured. The man said, I am cured. I still have the compulsion, but now I don't feel guilty about it anymore. You know, that describes a lot of us today. We really don't want to change. So what do we do? We redefine our sins. So we don't feel guilty anymore. We end up calling our sins, well, they're just an honest mistake. We call it just a momentary error in judgment. We call it an alternate lifestyle. We call it anything other than what it really is, sin. Because if we did, we'd have to admit that we are a sinner, and we don't like to do that. That's not what we like to do. But it's the only way God can begin to clean up the mess that we've made of our lives. So what is true confession? True confession is acknowledging that God is right. True confession is admitting that you're wrong. True confession is committing to change. True confession is seeking His forgiveness. Please don't put it off any longer. True, con truly confess your sins and find out what it means to be truly forgiven. One preacher tells a story about counseling a woman 
A woman who had been unfaithful to her husband just one time, and that was 20 years prior. And for 20 years, she had carried the guilt of that one time that she had been unfaithful. But she had never told anyone until that evening in that session with that preacher. The first time she'd ever told anybody about what she had done 20 years prior. The preacher recommended to get over this guilt, you're going to need to tell your husband. She said, that's not going to be easy. It's going to be very hard. But I will do it. But as she was leaving that preacher's office, she turned and pointed a finger at him. And she said, I just want you to know, if this fails, I want you to know I'm going to blame you. <laughs> How would you like to be that preacher? The preacher saw her a few days later, and she looked different. She looked happy. She looked relieved. The preacher said, well, what happened? The woman said, I told my husband. And then my husband said, you know what, honey? I've known about this incident with you and him for 20 years. I knew about it when it happened. And I was just waiting for you to tell me so that I could tell you how much I love you. She went on further and said, My husband forgave me 20 years ago, and I had been needlessly carrying all this guilt for all those years. My dear friends, no matter what you've done, don't carry the guilt around anymore. Like that woman, truly confess your own sins and find that God has already forgiven you. About 2,000 years ago when Jesus died on the cross for your sins. This morning, that invitation is 24-7. Are you ready to become a Christian? Do you believe? Will you repent? Will you confess? Will you be baptized? Now... Once again, if you have public sins in your life and you need to restore your reputation, we want to pray with you. We want to pray for you. James 5, 16. We want to remind you that God will forgive you. 1 John 1, 9. This morning, will you take that step to put yourself in a right relationship with God? Will you please come while we stand and sing for your encouragement?